From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. And I'm Vanessa Handy, a producer on the show. 2023 is coming to a close, and boy, oh boy, there is a lot that has happened. We have weathered so much this year. We continue at the ACLU to fight for civil rights and civil liberties all across the country, including prying open every opportunity for abortion access and reproductive health care in the aftermath of the overturn of Roe. And blocking trans healthcare bans popping up in all different states. Not to mention, we've levied lawsuits to curb the rise in book bans and educational censorship. The banning of books in the U.S. is a tale as old as time. School curriculums and libraries are a battleground for book bans across the country. And advocated for racial equity amid the overturn of affirmative action and continued attacks on voting rights. Hey, hey, students of color are here to say diversity looks like. Show me what diversity looks like. This is what So today, we're highlighting some of the most notable episodes from the year, which also happen to be some of our favorites. We'll chat about what we enjoyed, how they came to be, and where the issues we reported on stand today. We hope you enjoy. Okay, I want to start off by talking about the episode I enjoyed the most from this past year. If I had to pick a favorite, it was my favorite. We released it at the very beginning of June, and it's called Let Trans Kids Speak for Themselves. In a year of an unprecedented 452 anti-LGBTQ bills in the U.S. this legislative session, a significant portion of those, 118 of them, were attacking trans kids specifically. We've covered this surge in a variety of ways this year, but I felt most passionate about highlighting the voices of trans kids specifically and to hear from them just forthright. What I love most about this episode is that we hear from three trans kids across the country, Dylan, Jaden, and Hobbs, who are in typical teen fashion particularly annoyed that they even have to be talking about this issue. I want to play one clip from Dylan where he cites all that has changed since he's received gender-affirming care. And I love this clip because I think it really shows the transformative nature of being able to access health care that you need and the freedom that can come with listening to trans kids and respecting their own self-determination. So this is Dylan. Dylan, you're a named plaintiff in the Arkansas case that the ACLU is arguing, Brent versus Rutledge, to fight for gender-affirming health care. What has gender-affirming health care looked like for you? What does it mean to you? And what do you want these people who are trying to ban it, what do you want them to know? I, oh, hmm. it has been a life-saving thing for me. Um, and I mean, I, I started testosterone in 2020, August of 2020, I started and it's been almost three years and I have been the happiest 
person I think I've ever been. Um, I've seen so many changes with myself, not even, not only physical, but like mentally and emotionally, I've just become a better person and grown as a person since then. Um, and I talk about this all the time with the lawsuit, like I've just, I've been able to put myself out there more. I would never be doing this three years ago. It, it wouldn't happen. There's no way. I was so concerned with the way that other people saw me and the way that I saw myself that, that the even thought of even going out was not, was not an option. It was not a possibility in my mind. Um, now my mom probably hates it, but I'm never home. You know, I, (laughs) I'm never home. I go out with my friends all the time. I went to prom this year as a last minute decision, was able to find a suit and go and feel so comfortable. Just, I felt good. It was just one of those things where I put that on and I was like, wow, like this feels good. This feels nice. And so for the adults that are trying to take this away, they don't really they don't see how good I'm doing now because they didn't see me before. Not that they're even seeing me now, really. They don't, they don't know who I am. What listening to this always reminds me is that it's really very simple. And I think we as an adults like to make this all really complicated, specifically how we talk about trans people in the national dialogue, in media, and in politics. It was so refreshing to just cut through the noise and hear about how Dylan's life has changed from Dylan. And the other thing I'll mention is, obviously in the clip, we noted that this is Dylan Brandt, who was the named plaintiff in um, Brandt versus Rutledge, which was our ACLU lawsuit against the Secretary of State in Arkansas, who was banning trans health care for minors. And Dylan fought this all the way through. We actually had a really amazing outcome. And just weeks after we interviewed Dylan, Jaden, and Hobbs, we got a answer in this case that it had been blocked in court. And so That was a huge victory, and Dylan was really at the center of it all, and his decision to use his voice and to be public with his story was just so impactful. So impactful, in fact, that Dylan was actually named to Time Magazine's Time 100, and it was really awesome to see Dylan and his mom come to New York and celebrate as they deserve. One other moment that really touched me is when 15-year-old Jaden talks about her friends coming over to help her get ready for homecoming and bringing their makeup because she didn't have any and she didn't know how to use it. Jaden said, they made sure that I felt pretty and they made sure I was confident in the way that I looked because they just cared about me. The power of kindness, Vanessa. Yes, the power of kindness and the power of friendship. I mean, that is just such a simple and pure thing. And I'm so glad that Jaden and Dylan and Hobbs have these friends that are rallying and supporting them. We are hearing about attacks on the trans community and 
bans to gender-affirming healthcare. And yet, we have these moments of lightness where someone gets to learn how to do their makeup. I mean, it's just so beautiful, and it really warms my heart to hear that they are getting to have these moments amid a very hard time for the trans community. I really enjoyed this conversation. I got to speak with the three of them before we had this conversation all together as a group. And even the community that they wanted to establish between the three of them was so endearing and wonderful because they're in their communities. They might not be having these conversations with their peers. They might not be um, around a bunch of other trans kids. And so it was really cool to see the community that they even could build within the scope of a conversation. We're definitely going to dive more into the new wave of trans healthcare bans in the new year. But we have a tough update, which is that on November 1st, we made the decision to join with trans youth, their families, and their medical providers, as well as with our legal partners, including the ACLU of Tennessee, to ask the Supreme Court to block a Tennessee law banning gender-affirming medical care for trans people under 18, so minors. The Tennessee law currently prohibits medical providers from treating trans youth with evidence-based gender-affirming medical treatment and requires youth currently receiving that gender-affirming care to end that care by March 31st of 2024. Um, So we'll have more of this story in the future, including why we decided to appeal to the Supreme Court. Um, That was not an easy decision. And as we've weathered so many of these fights to block trans healthcare bills all across the country. We're moving this concept of banning healthcare forward, and we're hoping the Supreme Court takes up our case. So more soon on that. I want to chime in with one of my favorite episodes from this year, and it's one that we released in June called A Year Without Row, Your Stories. And like the title suggests, we use this episode to reflect on how people's lives have been impacted since the overturn of Roe v. Wade last year. We did a call out for your stories, and you all responded loud and clear. I mean, we received hundreds of responses from folks across the country, and it captured the numerous and really nuanced consequences of the Dobbs decision. So we shared some of your messages in the episode, and we spoke in depth with four people about their experiences. I really think that this conversation on abortion access and reproductive freedom often centers people who don't want to get pregnant and how it's going to impact their access to abortion. But I want to share a clip from this episode that brings up another side of the conversation, and it's one that you may not have thought of before. Margaret, a romance writer from St. Louis, Missouri, told us about how her dating life has changed in a state where abortion is banned. You know, for for me at this point, it's going to have to be someone really special for me to allow them into my life in that way. There's not going to be the casual hookups or anything like that. That is, for me, that is completely over. You know, it makes me take a step back from even wanting to date. As a romance author, you write a lot about sex, dating, and relationships explicitly in your day job. 
I wonder if your personal experience since the fall of Roe has changed the stories you're writing and how you're writing them. I try for my own sanity to keep politics out of it as much as possible. But it's definitely, you know, because I write uh, spicy romance. Okay. And which to me is something that is about women's liberation. Okay. The, the, the right to go and enjoy pleasure. Right. Right. And pleasure as you deem it, as it works for you, not necessarily for someone else. So it has made me want to almost be a little bit more cautious in how I portray things and how I talk about things and just what I go and say, even just to turn a phrase that could potentially be used, used against me. I think that the points about dating and sex are something that so many of us are thinking about in this time, but it often goes unspoken. So I personally appreciate Margaret's transparency and her realness. But what I love most about this episode is how different everyone's stories were. In the interviews and the responses that we got, we heard about impacts on the healthcare profession, access to gender-affirming care, the experience of pregnancy and family planning, and so much more. And even though every story we heard was unique, I think that all of them showed just how complicated and stressful it's been to contend with the overturn of Roe. Um, and I think this episode really validated a lot of the difficult and collective emotions we've had this past year. I don't know about you, Kendall, but I know it really did that for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can still remember the day that Roe was overturned. And um, obviously, working at the ACLU, we had to like jump into action and jump into work. But that really sat with me for the following few months in a really intense way. And I think when we sought to collect these stories, so often we've been hearing kind of the most traumatic versions of these stories. But Definitely. what was so illuminating was the mental weight that so many people and how pervasive that mental weight was that so many people are carrying in the more quotidian ways that is impacting our everyday life. So I agree with you, Vanessa. For sure. And I I got the overwhelming sense from everyone that we talked to that people really appreciated even just having the space to talk about this yeah. and kind of feel some catharsis through this episode. I will add that in the midst of like some of these harder conversations, Margaret was so hilarious. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, <laughs> and that's just like a little behind the scenes thing is that I think I started crying because I was laughing so hard because Margaret kept banging on the table in front of her, which... You know, for audio's sake, that's not something that we can really do anything with. So I'd have to stop and say, Margaret, I know you're passionate, but like, you got to stop banging on the table. <laughs> yeah, it was the moment of levity, though, amidst a harder story. I know. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to share that clip. But since this episode aired, 
We've continued to cover the fight for reproductive freedom and the rights of pregnant people on our show. Back in November, we celebrated a major win in Ohio where voters passed an amendment to enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution, making it the seventh state to protect abortion access through the ballot box. We also saw voters in Virginia and Pennsylvania vote in favor of pro-abortion majorities in their state governments. So lots of wins all around. That's not something that we can always say. Another issue we've been following very closely is access to medication abortion. The Supreme Court announced that it will hear the case Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine versus FDA, with the potential for serious effects on people's ability to access abortion. Just 18 months after overturning Roe v. Wade, the court agreed to review a decision in a case brought by anti-abortion activists that would make it far more difficult for people nationwide to access mifepristone, a medication used in most abortions in this country today. Mifepristone has been safely used by more than 5 million people to end a pregnancy since it was approved nearly a quarter century ago. And it's part of the gold standard for some miscarriage care. No date has been set for oral arguments, but we will bring you updates in the new year. Next up, we have another national story that encapsulates, I think, a number of our issue areas at the ACLU. This episode was called Banning TikTok is a Really Bad Idea. The episode ran in mid-May, shortly after the TikTok CEO was grilled by Congress in a hearing on the platform's security and privacy practices with particular concern to the Chinese government's access to American user data. This issue is a privacy issue, a national security issue, and a free speech issue. And we happen to know a few things about those issues If the U.S. government banned TikTok, it would irreparably harm Americans' First Amendment right to express themselves, access information, and communicate with people around the world. What's more, calls to ban TikTok for national security reasons have not been remotely supported by concrete public evidence, instead focusing on speculation and anti-Asian xenophobia. On this episode, we spoke with three notable TikTok creators about how the platform has helped them advance causes of civil rights and civil liberties. Tiffany Yu, a disability advocate, Jamira Burley, a racial justice advocate, and Talia Lichstein, a reproductive freedom advocate, joined us. And then we also spoke with our in-house expert, Ashley Gorski, who is a senior staff attorney with the ACLU's National Security Project. We're going to play a clip of Tiffany Yu on the value of TikTok for communities who lack mainstream representation. What do you think we lose with a TikTok ban? I think for me, there are kind of like three big things that we lose if TikTok goes away. Disabled people are twice as likely to live in poverty. And what TikTok has unleashed for many of us is that we actually can create a career being a a creator. Um, The second is that disabled people find each other online and it's where we find community first and it's where our social fabric and many of our social connections are. And then the third is that for people who are not disabled, it makes our experience more accessible to them and through a more empowering lens than some of the pity victim narratives that the mainstream media still is including in their movies and TV shows. 
I really enjoyed hearing from the TikTok creators themselves about the value add that TikTok is bringing to their lives. As Tiffany said, for disabled people who struggle with employment, accommodations, and representation, TikTok has been such a meaningful opportunity to be seen, to start dialogue, to meet other people, and to be paid on their own terms. Mm. So I'm a huge fan of TikTok personally. Vanessa, how did you feel about this story? I think the story showed such an important side of the conversation on what it would mean for TikTok to not be in our lives anymore. For me, I wouldn't consider myself a content creator, but even just as someone who uses TikTok very casually, it's brought a lot of value to my life and has honestly just been a great educational tool. I think it's also really important to think about TikTok as a tool that young people predominantly use. And a lot of the conversation on our podcast is about how young people are at the forefront of social change most often. And throughout history, this is true. And so I, I feel like censoring young people in their voices really censors and prohibits social change. I know that that's perhaps a big lofty statement to make about something that people see as, you know, just kind of a silly little app on your phone where people do dances to trending sounds. (laughs) And while that is true, I think it isn't inaccurate to say that it is a platform or a medium or a forum for organizing these days. What is so notable about this story is that it follows this uh, trend line that we've been seeing um, in other stories and other efforts by our government to really capitalize on this anti-Asian sentiment that uh, I think has accelerated or been accelerated by the the COVID pandemic. And we see this anti-China sentiment in particular seep into so many different areas of our life, whether that be trying to ban TikTok or trying to pass alien land laws in in states like Florida. We're involved in litigation there. And I want to also add that we do have an episode about anti-Asian land laws in Florida. So you should check it out. Absolutely. Thanks for that plug, Vanessa. (laughs) No problem. In recent months, we've seen lawmakers in the United States, Europe, and Canada escalate efforts to restrict access to TikTok. This is all because of the app's Chinese ownership, like we've mentioned. Since November, more than two dozen states have banned TikTok on government-issued devices, and many colleges have blocked it from campus Wi-Fi networks. The state of Montana even signed a bill to ban TikTok in the state. This was back in May. But a federal judge recently stopped the ban on the grounds that it violated the First Amendment and also violated a clause that gives Congress the power to regulate commerce with foreign nations. We've been talking a whole lot about censorship, and the next episode that I want to mention stays in that vein. Um, This episode comes from the back-to-school season in September, and it focuses on the right to learn, which is another one of the issue areas we work on here at the ACLU. Back-to-school season should be an exciting time and a new beginning for everyone involved, students, parents, educators. And unfortunately, this year, it was anything but that for some educators and students in Texas. 
In our episode called Why is Texas Eliminating School Libraries, we investigated the headlines about the state's plan to convert libraries into disciplinary centers and eliminate librarian positions at several schools in the Houston Independent School District, or HISD, which is the largest district in Texas and one of the largest in the country. These changes were notably targeted at schools with high populations of low-income and black and brown students. And we spoke to two very spunky and seasoned Texas librarians for this episode, Becky Calzada and Deborah Hall. And the two of them have been advocating for students and the future of their professions as librarians. We also then heard from Chloe Kempf, an attorney at the ACLU of Texas, who helped us make sense of how educational censorship infringes on students' civil rights. Librarians are teachers primarily in the state of Texas. School librarians have to have a minimum of two years of teaching experience before um, they can even consider becoming a school librarian. And then once they do that, they have to go to library school to take coursework and then to also obtain a master's degree. So not only do we have a highly educated person in front of students, the role and the learning that happens in library school centers around not just literacy, but it uh, now talks about uh, the use of tech integration, digital citizenship. They're also leaders on the campus, you know, you know, trying to partner with their administration to extend the mission and the vision of the campus and the schools. And so, I mean, there's just so many things that um, they they can do. And so I think it's just more like, you know, leveraging that person um, and not considering just the the administrative sort of the tasks because yes those things that happen you know yes we have to purchase books yes we have to process books but if you really want to maximize that person um, you'll really put them in that role of instructional leader to partner with teachers and of course to work with students because the library is the heart of the school it's the center of the school the heart of the school that is so sweet and so true i mean kendall I think it's an understatement to say that we absolutely love libraries here. I I had such a close relationship with my librarians growing up. I used to spend every single day after school in elementary school at the library. So I, I am with Becky and Deborah all the way. You know, Vanessa, they say having fun isn't hard when you've got a library card. Uh, <laughs> it's so true. That is what this episode is all about. You know, I think it's also really important to just be clear about like, you know, we're doing this episode because we've seen so much censorship happen, particularly targeting education that pertains to teaching accurate history, accurate history about Black history, slavery in our country, the civil rights era, et cetera. And then also um, accurate information about gender diversity and sexuality. And that's the subject matter that school boards are trying to remove from libraries through book bans. Um, and then this is the next evolution on that. Like, okay, why even have libraries at all? Let's make them discipline centers so we can advance the school-to-prison pipeline. It really was so shocking to me to even see those headlines. So I was so grateful that we got to to do this episode. Me too. I mean, if there's anything I learned from this. It's that the world needs to put more respect on librarians' names. 
especially in Texas. I mean, they're up against so much in that state. If you don't know, Texas is the state with the most banned books in the country. And since we checked in with our librarians, unfortunately, plans to uproot libraries as we know them in the Houston Independent School District have gone into effect. As of early November, 85 schools have been reformed by Superintendent Mike Miles through a model called the New Education System. And at many of these schools, libraries have been turned into team centers where students who excel are sent to work on more challenging material by themselves. Or inversely, misbehaving students are sent there to watch their classes virtually as a disciplinary consequence. These centers do contain books and students can access the books before or after school or by the discretion of their classroom teachers. However, librarians have been removed at the majority of these schools and they are not involved in the team centers. And Superintendent Mike Miles says that he cut librarians in order to, quote, prioritize resources and focus on teaching kids how to read through a science of reading curriculum. I mean, it begs the question, uh, how can students succeed if they don't have librarians with them? But the superintendent plans to expand this model to a total of 150 schools by the 2025-2026 school year. And whether it's in Texas or other states across the nation, we will be watching and continuing to protect students' right to learn at this time. That's right, Vanessa. This has been so fun. We truly had such a hard time picking the stories that we wanted to highlight this year um, because there were so many really meaningful and impactful stories that we had the privilege of telling. And, you know, obviously our, our jobs are to document and to help kind of sort through the really troublesome stuff that's happening in our world and in our country specifically. We feel very honored that we get to be a part of this work and that we get to be breaking down these stories and sharing them with all of you. So really appreciate all who listen. And Vanessa, we should do this again. It was so fun to do this with you. I completely agree. It's an honor and a privilege to get to just witness this work and be a part of it. So I don't know, same time next year, maybe? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. Until next week, stay strong. At Liberty is a production of the ACLU, produced by me, Kendall Seesmeyer and Vanessa Handy. This episode was edited by folks at Ultraviolet Audio. And now, time for some bloopers. From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Slay. Slay. I really enjoyed hearing from the TikTok. I really enjoyed hearing from the TikTok. For them to imagine it. Nope. Slay. 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 Take it, talk it, it don't stop. <laughs> okay, right. All right. That should um, make it in. Slay. Slay. Yeah, I think we. Vandal's um, real. We ate and. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. Me when I have to one, count. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> in the outro, you should be like, uh, thanks so much for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed the debut of Vandal. <laughs> yeah, if you've been living under a rock for the past um, six months and don't know what Vandal is, get hip. <laughs> get hip to it. <laughs> it's just Vanessa and Kendall in a super group together. Live, love, love. <laughs> <laughs> we're living, we're laughing, and we're loving, that's for sure. <laughs>